Hello everyone, I'm Daniel Brandt and I'd like to welcome you to the Ambassador Living on the Edge podcast, the show that focuses on all things related to cloud native platforms, creating effective developer workflows and building modern APIs. Today I'm joined by Gareth Rushgrove, Director of Product Management at Sneak. Gareth is a deep thinker in the developer tooling space, and I always enjoy chatting with him about the evolution of developer workflows, Docker, Kubernetes, and platforms, and the role of standards within the software development industry. Today, I was keen to pick his brains on all things continuous delivery, Kubernetes tooling, and security. I also wanted to understand what he thought about treating application platforms as products and managing accordingly, as I know he's learned a lot from his journey from engineer to product owner. If you like what you hear today, I definitely encourage you to pop over to our website. That's www.getambassador.io, where we have a range of articles, white papers, and videos that provide more information for engineers working in the Kubernetes and cloud space. You can also find links there to our latest releases, such as the Ambassador Edge Stack, and also our open source Ambassador API Gateway, and our CNCF hosted telepresence tool too. So hi, Gareth. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having us. Could you briefly introduce yourself for the listeners, please, and share a recent career highlight as well? Yeah, so I'm Gareth Rushgrove. I'm currently one of the product directors at a company called Sneak. Uh, we decide on basically security tooling for developers. Uh, so on the product side today, previously I worked at Docker on the product side, Puppet on the engineering side. I worked for the UK government as well for a bunch of years as part of GDS, mainly doing operations, infrastructure, security, wandering around, causing trouble. Um, <laughs> nice. I'm involved in a lot of open source projects as well. Most recently, I guess, quite actively involved in the Open Policy Agent project. I run one of the sub projects called uh, Contest. And I, in my increasingly vanishingly small spare time, send out the DevOps Weekly newsletter, which I've done for 10 years, which is a long time to send an email every Sunday. <laughs> that is. And we, um, I definitely appreciate it. I know thousands of people do as well. Like, Firm, firm favorite of mine of the newsletters. Awesome stuff, guys. So the traditional first question in the podcast is, can you share your worst developer experience or worst dev loop? And when I mentioned that, I'm sort of talking about the idea of, you know, having the idea, coding, testing, deploying, releasing, and verifying. You don't have to name names, but can you share the most horrendous experience you bumped into? Yeah. Um, luckily, you gave me a heads up about this. So I had to think. It's going back a while now that there was a, and I, yeah, I definitely won't name names, but there was a, a certain web service that company in my employer at the time was looking to integrate with. And we wanted to do basically a spike. We wanted to go like, okay, how does this work? Let's build a prototype. Basically it does these things, count, like how would we integrate it? So trying to build something that was more throwaway than anything else. And it was back in the days when SOAP seemed like a good idea. Oh, yes. And I was like, oh, that's fine. And then we were uh, mainly writing Ruby. I'd done a bunch of Ruby, a bunch of Python, a bunch of other languages of different jobs before. And they said, oh, like, yep, we've got web service. It's all good. You can just integrate with it. Um, and, they, and they sent some documentation. And I was like, what's the question? And then they sent the WSDL files. <laughs> so for those that haven't had the horror, SOAP was originally the simple object access protocol they dropped the acronym because people kept pointing out that it was not simple. Um, <laughs> yes. Wisdle was an attempt to basically say, okay, like soaps just for machines. Wisdle can be this format on top, which you use to describe. So it was web service description language. Yeah. And again, all of this was XML. They sent across a zip file with, I think somewhere in the region of 120 separate Wisdle files to describe <laughs> this API. 
Um, and again, the idea with web services was well, none of this would none, none of this mattered. You just took those files, you just generated a bunch of code, and then you could use it in any language you wanted. Mm. This was the idea. I mean, they didn't tell us what they used to write it in. They, did, they just sent us a bunch of WSDL files. I tried to use uh, like a bunch of sort of just take WSDL files, generate code type tools, and not like everything was just like, no, this is crazy. This is 120 separate WSDL files, like hundreds and hundreds of mega XML, and nothing was having it. Not and, <laughs> and, and 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 then I just went back to them and said, like, okay, like, what did you use to generate these? And they were like, oh, it was uh, some Java framework. And so I was like, okay, I'll use that. And <laughs> so it, it was just all horrifying. And actually what the API was doing was horrifying. How it was doing it was horrifying. It was very much just exposing, obviously, it, just a ginormous object set without oh, yeah. really any sort of yeah. affordances or documentation or understanding. It was like, oh, no, it, like we just clicked the export web services button somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was just horrifyingly painful and yeah that, I've that definitely was... bumped into a few of these micro uh, Gareth and I think the deal with the APIs is you get an insight into the designer's brain don't you like when I was contracting at a company called Open Credo we bumped into some horrible APIs that were purely like designed by techies like without the end user in mind I'm sure I've done it yeah, as well I, right I think, but again I think this wasn't designed this was this right, was right. really just sort of the idea of APIs implementation and I think that's the like when people don't think of APIs as user interfaces. Mm. Um, yeah. It's like, oh no, like I get an API for free from my object model. Like that's not true from a building a good API that's nice to use. And and throw in an, an awful lot of XML and throw in <laughs> this idea that you could do language interop via WSDL. And in practice, this only worked if you put the same tech on both sides for non-trivial cases I, I i can definitely relate to this i cut my teeth on soap <laughs> and had many a horrible experience but today i'm most keen to pick your brains around kubernetes tooling so we just set off mike you and i regularly bump with each other at conferences i always enjoy hearing what you're thinking is interesting and what your latest sort of hot take on many of these things are and we're unfortunately with conferences all being you know cancelled or going virtual it's not quite so easy to catch up so i was really keen to you know, as a first question, I guess, what do you think about the current state of Kubernetes tooling as it stands now? I think there's been a lot of, I guess, like things that have matured and, and new ideas springing up. There's still very much a, I guess, a search for a holy grail a bit around sort of like packaging or management or process bits. But I think a lot of that is is happening. But there's maybe a better realization that actually a lot of users for, with Kubernetes are, are getting a lot done with the basics. Yeah, I think that it's always true. If you're if you're very close to something, it's very easy to see the sort of the things that could improve. You've been like if you've been around the Kubernetes community for five years, you know what's moved and what hasn't. You can see these opportunities around like higher level abstractions. Actually, they all also make things more complicated. Assuming you need to learn all the layers, and and actually a lot of people get on a long way with literally just the Kubernetes configuration files. There's a lot of organizations that have adopted Kubernetes, they're just writing the raw configuration files and they're like, no, this is great. They're not comparing it with some hypothetical possibility. They're comparing it with really like what they were doing before. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that like jump when you're like, no, but things could be better. And you need both of those two things. 
So I think there's a bunch of work going on and like just on some good like fundamentals, I guess. Now, I mean, like it's been great seeing like the evolution of the build packs project oh, is like a good example. Yeah. Again, I I think there's always been this interesting potential there, but mm. the some of it was maybe some of the story was maybe told ahead of the technology. I think with Paketa, the, the sort of distribution of like specific build packs with, I don't think it's about telling people to use pack. I think I'm much more interested in it simply being built into high level frameworks. So spring, if you generate a spring project now, it will generate you a Maven project that will build images just using build packs. Like, yeah, nice. it's like, no one needs to care about the implementation details. And I think mm. things like that, it's not about like building a better Docker build tool or getting across a Docker file. It's about like, no, like you're not gonna dislodge Docker file with another build syntax format file. Um, like that solves a really good problem. What other higher level problems can you solve? And actually like build packs as a route to that, I think are really interesting. There's still a load of folks, I guess, like working on deployment related tooling often like related basically building on top of things mm. in Kubernetes with platforms and so the way that Knative has been doing Rio from the rancher folks it's it, it will be interesting to see like how that space evolves like jumping in now is very early I and mean, I think it's for people who are like want to geek out about the tools but it'll be interesting to see how things like that span out even the work that Docker's doing with simply just like taking the Docker interface everyone uses anyway and simply saying, oh, no, you can run that on, like, ECS launched today. They've, they've talked about ACI as well, like these, these sort of remote services. And again, that's not about your enterprise running, like, large, complex, multi-rooted applications as much as, no, I just want to run some compute somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that simple use cases are often missed in the rush to sort of complex, like, sort of bigger problems yeah it makes total sense yeah i think some of the hype has died away a bit like at one point mm-hmm. maybe Agreed. there was about there was a oh it's it's all about coming up with new meta languages and dsls and like i think a bunch of that is like hard work is being done in those spaces now without the quite the like oh and you should use this mm-hmm. um like i'm a big fan of q because i like i'm a dsl nerd um, and <laughs> i think there's some really interesting tools that can be built on top of there. Um, yeah, yeah. But shouting about Q and telling everyone to jump towards using it is actually wrong for most users directly. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the language, not the framework. And I think it's going to be the frameworks that come along next that are like going to be the most interesting parts. Yeah, Renesca, a lot of folks I chat to both in my work at DataWire and also on the podcast, they're all looking to build a platform or buy a platform sometimes and the heroku comes up as the kind of you know classic example i've used heroku like with ruby on rails loved it made it super simple uh, cloud foundry kind of similar thing i think i've seen you talk about the need to treat the platform as a product if you're building a platform internally you need to treat it as a product which i don't see that much could you so could you explain to the listeners perhaps what you mean by treat the platform as a product yeah i guess there's a, di- a number of different ways of looking at that but I think one is, what do you mean by product? And often it's the whole. It, mm-hmm. like it, 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 it's something that actually is solving a, a collected set of problems, but also, frankly, something that you're buying. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, differentiating there from sort of basically a project. It's not just about the technology. It's about the whole wrapper around that. And I think that 
that sort of idea of it being something that like development teams are buying now in some cases they might be forced to buy it um I think that's true of when you're sometimes when you're working with an external software vendor as well like developer yes you have you're paying for it but you, you're forced to use that one tool that one issue tracker or that one source control system and um, by some higher level power yeah <laughs> or or you have choice and i think like some organizations basically say like yeah there's there's a there's a happy path like look we've solved all these problems you get all this for free or you have to deal with it all yourself by the way what we mean there is you need to deal with monitoring and logging and metrics and everything else like we have standards you need to meet but you can knock yourself out or have them for free as part of our platform so i think some of that is about doing a sales job to your to developers actually having the platform not as the you have to use it whatever you like it or not because mm. there's not a lot of incentive to make that good then it's like if developers have choice to use your internal thing or not then you need to get good at selling it and mm. you get you need to get good at talking to them about what their problems are and i think it forces good mm. practice around prioritization so i moved from mainly working on the engineering side to now mainly working in product roles and i think a lot of people think that product and product roles and products are all about like the ideas actually if you're deep into an area and that might be like building developer tools or Kubernetes platforms or whatever like mm-hmm. ideas are easy like you can like you and even if you're deep in it you could probably come up with an awful lot of them off your top of your head if you talk yeah, to a bunch of people. users which you should do you'll come up with even more and then you go wait a minute unless the answer is someone gives me a hundred people to do all these things in a short space of time, <laughs> I have to prioritize. Mm-hmm. And I think the mm-hmm. the forcing function of prioritizing problems, not building some mythical sort of all, all singing, all dancing, do everything. Um, yeah. It's like, what problems are you trying to solve? And different organizations, I think they struggle with different problems for, for different reasons. And I think that treating it as a, Platform to me is often about like, go find your users, find out what they're not, not saying, do you want X? It's a classic yes. sort of product management thing of like, if, if I go to one of our customers, for example, and, and say, oh, would you like Sneak to do X? The answer will be yes, irrespective of X, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. And yeah, unless yeah. I'm, unless it's like make tea or coffee, they'll be like, well, that's a bit <laughs> weird. Um, but like, it, everyone likes stuff. Yep, like, yep. But there's no tension there. So saying like, here are two things, which one do you want? And they'll be like, I want both. It's like, you get one, which one do you want? And introducing scarcity, basically forcing prioritization, I think is a big part of like treating things as products. And I think when you're building up a platform, that's really important because it's a, like, I've seen some people talk about just the upfront cost of mm. building out that sort of platform. Like, yeah and saying well yeah look this is many people over many months Mm. like how do you get value quicker like that's not people work quicker that's not necessarily in lots of organizations pile more money in up front i think with that comes okay what's the what are the problems we can solve without getting too carried away with talking about a platform you can oversell things as well I, i think if you treat building out your internal platform as a project that starts and ends it's very easy to basically discover that you've spent six months with six people and you're not at the end and everyone's yeah. like, well, no, we don't have money for you to spend three years building something like versus saying, okay, like our job is to serve that 
audience like yes there's some minimal viable thing for certain types of mm. service but like what are we trying to do so i think a lot of the i think having people thinking about the sort of product side of platforms for internal teams is really useful i like that a lot guys um i was chatting to matthew skelton and manuel pace who've got team topologies book fantastic yes. book for recommended listeners but they talk a lot about the minimum viable platform yeah, if it's like an EC2 instance and like deploying some code onto it, you're good to go. Yeah. And that is, is somewhat in enterprise organizations, almost heretical. We've got to have the all singing, the all dancing, right? Yeah. I, I think that's always that thing of like the closer you are to something, the more you see the downsides and also the potential. That was probably the thing that, that drew my interest to Kubernetes like really early, like sort of five years ago when it came out, was the API. Mm, yes. it, it wasn't it wasn't the ah i can run a bunch of applications with this right now or i can solve these like concrete problems with it right now i had some of those it was the potential around the api and and mm. the potential for the api to both be consistent at a low level so you can have that access but also, also for us to build high level abstractions i think we're starting to see some of that potential become reality now but yeah like the like why are you interested in something like Mm-hmm. and appreciating that, that that the reason might be not mean you should use it straight away. Mm. You should be interested in it straight away. Mm, very nice, Gath, yeah. So trying to tie together some of the ideas around sort of platform as a product and also something you mentioned earlier around deployment being an interesting area at the moment. So I'm seeing a lot of folks almost creating composable continuous delivery framework. So you've got like GitHub Actions. I see you regularly tweeting about that. Got Argo. I was chatting to Stefan from the Weaveworks team a while back, and they're doing this GitOps toolkit, which is super interesting, I think. There seems this, this notion of composability is becoming a thing. Do you think that's where the future of continuous delivery is? It's going to be a sort of pick and assemble components as you want? I think what's happened with CI configuration, also other types of configuration, application configuration, software packaging, security to a degree, like a bunch of this responsibility is shift, shifting to application teams. Mm, and yeah, yep. so like before you just wrote some code and like other people <clears> dealt with it. Now we're saying, oh, no, like you write the code, you write the CI config, you write the packaging like with Docker files and whatnot, mm-hmm. you write the uh, configuration that deploys it. Again, that used to be someone else's job. And all of this is in, I think, view of sort of you build it, you run it. Like that yeah, sort of yeah. principle at a high level of, it's better it's better for to sort of have multiple people doing things but decouple them versus everything coupled on something that slows you down so i think like with that happening you're then seeing like ci config go from like one team bunch of experts to a bunch of non-experts at the edges mm-hmm. and from a like that has a but like that's now nicely decoupled these teams go at different paces on the other hand some of them do it really well and some of them do it really badly <laughs> and because it's hard it's a new, new domain every like everyone can copy and paste the hello world example but nearly no one i mean like people don't talk about like refactoring their ci configs very often they don't talk about like you just sort of copy and paste something that works and start using it so the mm. number of and, and the hello world example stuff is like again like, these are all the same problems you see in software code yeah like so take SQL databases, people go like, oh, wow, yeah, like the, I can query the SQL database. I've, I've, I got this query. I've learned enough SQL to, to like get this thing. Great. Oh, did you add indexes? Did you add like, is it performant? They're like, mm. don't know. 
The answer is no, it's not because the performance indexed version was more complicated than the whole world version. You didn't get there yet. Mm. Look at all the GitHub actions out there that are doing non non cached like pulls. So like the amount of stuff being pulled down that like you don't need to do. Or, like you're testing the same thing. Like stop it, just cache it. I think so. There's all these patterns there as well. And so yeah, I think that starts with like with sharing ecosystems. I'd love to see more sort of composability and sharing, but you sometimes then end up with like things becoming centralized. It's all, it is all these sorts of answers. Do you put the smarts in the middle and build things to distribute or do you actually just make people better at the edges? And the answer is a bit of both. So I, I think that unfortunately as well, a lot of this work is very implementation specific. So, and you mentioned Argo, GitHub Actions, Tecton. Mm-hmm. I I maintain a couple of GitHub Actions, Tecton pipeline tasks for a couple of projects, contests I mentioned before. One thing is they're very similar, and they're annoyingly similar. Oh, interesting. Um, right, right. And, Between the two formats. Yeah, there's there's, mm-hmm. there's no. It's not like a dis. There's, there's not an affordance advantage. There's mm. not a model advantage. They're basically just the same. They're just different, in like basically parallel development and different words on different on the same things. Yeah, right. Um, and without that push towards like standards, you end up with this sort of yes, like we're basically just evolved, but but we do, we repeat a lot of work in separate ecosystems of no no additional value. Well, no additional value to end users. There's yes. value from the point of view of the value like, capture. Platform. Yeah, value basically from the platform capture side. Yeah. Like so, I'm not sure that gets fixed, but I'd love to see sort of more standards emerge there. But that's again, like, that takes time. It's it's hard to come about. The Tecton project is is probably the folks who've been talking most about that. Again, they're not they're not as much trying to build the whole. They're trying to build a like the sort of a stack that other people can more easily build these types of tools on top of. Jenkins X, I think, uses Tecton for example. Yeah, Jenkins X uses it, and as does Relay from the Puppet folks. Of course, like did a blog post of them recently. Uh, yeah. There's some really interesting integrations going on around the Canadian in, um, sort of space. Like, so yeah, they're building like primitives for you to build these bits. And mm. I think there's some conversations going on there around standardized descriptions that can be used across multiple implementations. The GitHub, the GitLab folks actually more recently started talking about like this problem of like multiple sort of CI systems and things. Uh, so I think I'd like to see something. I'm not sure it will happen mm. that quickly, but I definitely think there's a, there's a sharing thing, but sharing starts for the most part by copy and paste. <laughs> yes. Um, and we're yeah. at the copy and paste. So, like, so I think we've moved from the handwritten like just handwrite everything, and again, like that, like, and we've moved to the copy and paste stage of sharing. The question is, can we move to something more? Li- like, if you think of the evolution of programming languages, like, I, I, I started out writing a lot of PHP, and frankly, you started like you just wrote it all from scratch. Then came along like sort of paste bins and Stack Overflow and other things. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, you moved into this, and and then came along like package managers and I flipped over to Ruby and Python which sort of had started with more of a package management concept yeah like the the point when Ruby became popular gems was there big deal right yeah the the point when JavaScript became popular npm was not there like Mm. when PHP became popular composer was not there like the that sort of 
it, like it's easy to forget all those things didn't yeah, always okay. exist so i think there's slightly more than that i mean it's like github actions you can sort of reference actions from other repos and other bits and pieces but it's not quite at the stage where there's the same non-tool specific package concepts it'd be interesting to see if that is the direction like mm. configuration goes so from a composability and reuse perspective i think config is definitely there there's a bunch of things to learn from the configuration management space and like what happened yes. with um, the puppet forge what happened with ansible galaxy what happened with chess Bucket? again both good and bad i mean some like fundamentally they collected a bunch of content that was reusable and like reused by a lot of people but i think mm-hmm. if you talk to the I, I was a puppet i know the other folks really well like the, the all run into certain limiting factors when it came to sharing of like highly abstract configuration so there's 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 some interesting challenges around just applying the same sort of packing management approaches to configuration in general but there's a lot of value there in, around ci i guess like actually i mentioned build packs and Dockerfile is an interesting example Dockerfile is super valuable build packs basically take a bunch of sort of i guess like easy path options for certain specific but very common setups and mm-hmm. um, so yeah you've got a, a, a basic spring app well yeah like the build pack will work until it doesn't and you can flip to something like Dockerfile. Um, yeah. question is can we do that for ci setups as well so rather than trying to solve them from the ci side generically can you solve them from the no like, i get to be opinionated about the framework so like let's solve it for spring let's solve it for rails let's solve it for django like mm. I, I i sort of feel that's I think there's maybe a infrastructure person that comes at it from a like, no, I want to solve a CI problem. It's like, no, no, yeah, you, like, yeah. let's go solve like as a as a back to that sort of platform product. Like as a product person, I want to solve the end user problem. Like, and the end user is a developer, yeah. and the end mm-hmm. user is not a developer. They're a .NET Core developer using C sharp. Mm-hmm. Okay, like let's go solve that very specific problem and. I, I sort of feel like we we can often flip a bunch of these things around to say let's solve the specific problem that individual developers have rather than solving the I'm a CI nerd problem. Yeah. And, uh, because because yeah, we're yeah. talking about a world where that we've shifted that out, like we're providing a platform to developers, and that doesn't mean all developers. In lots of cases, it means the developers I'm working with. Yeah. I like that guy. No, I like that a lot. Um, I'm keen to listen in the final few minutes we've got here to switch gears a little bit because I really would appreciate your uh, take on some of the security topics because you know, with your background and also your work you're doing at Sneak, security is like front and center. Folks I checked on a daily basis, totally aware of things like image scanning, totally aware of things like uh, cluster access, RBAC in particular pops up. But that sometimes is the kind of extent of the threat model I hear <laughs> about. What do you think engineers should focus on in addition to those kind of things? Yeah, I, I think this, I'm touching on some of the topics we've just been discussing as well. A really common way of, like, I'm, you see it in the wild with things like the Capital One instant, like, they're not they're not the first party applications that they're building. And, like, yes, they can be insecure. Yes, they can be compromised. But one of the issues there is that, like, that often ends up being quite bespoke. Um, like, your application was bespoke, so therefore the attack is somewhat bespoke. And yeah, you're looking for commonalities like SQL injection at scale and whatever. But actually, there's lots of other common ground that is outside your first-party applications in terms of how you've configured your cloud environment, as a good example. Mm. 
Um, yep, yep. We've shifted a bunch of this from being someone's specialist job again to development teams. Development teams are writing Terraform code, they're writing CDK or nice. CloudFormation, they're writing Kubernetes configuration files. And all of that allows you to stand up and provision and configure infrastructure at scale really quickly. It also allows you to make mistakes really quickly. <laughs> and I think often we treat configuration differently to code. Yeah. Uh, in that, like, we treat it as something like, oh, no, that's already a solved problem. Like, we just go from config to like the deployment just happens versus our code goes through this battery of tests and we'll test mm. for like, we'll run unit tests, we'll run acceptance tests, we might run some dynamic security scanning. We might, like, we will run a sort of, battery of things against it says mm. should we deploy this and your configuration often goes is it valid ship it and again i think it makes sense in terms of we've just had a lot longer to i guess these shifts i mean some of the like from a code standpoint well we have like good mature tool, testing tooling linting tooling static analysis tooling like, like because we'll, we'll developers have been writing that code for a long time that those mm. tools have become part of the practice and should they be used by like the, the, your very early like first program? No. Like, should professional programmers be using most of those things? And do professional programmers know about them and not have an excuse that like oh, I didn't know about that? Absolutely. Software packaging, and you mentioned sort of image scanning. Like, software packaging is something that again used to be specialist domain. Definitely, with Dockerfile shifted to be a, something of more of a developer domain problem, and. Well, yeah, the first time people were using Dockerfile, they weren't scanning their images. But that's become oh, yes. much more common practice now. Yeah. Again, like with tools like Sneak making it easier and the rest. But again, like knowledge of that now, I would say, mm -hmm. is there. Um, and the adoption is increasing. So mm -hmm. maybe people aren't doing it yet, but they're not doing it yet because they don't know about it. They're, they're like, oh, yeah, we, like, we haven't prioritized that yet. But I think configuration is something that is shifted to developers more recently. Mm. So Dockerfile over a longer period of time, like we're just at an earlier stage with this sort of shift of all of this configuration stuff to developers. And the the tooling exists in the edges, but it's generally speaking being those tooling nerds like me who work on things like Comtest and it's not at the point where basically most developers know about the existence of those mm. tools or about the existence necessarily of the problems. Yeah. Exactly. So when you point out the problems, they're like, oh, right, yeah, what do I do? You then might be like, okay, well, what tools exist? You also then start finding that similar patterns like static analysis and linting and unit testing and acceptance testing, well, yeah, it turns out to you can apply the same things, but the tooling isn't as mature. And so sometimes the answer is we're not going to do this yet because it's high barrier to entry. It's a large cost for what we decide. And like ultimately that's direction of travel. We just make that easier to adopt. We make it more well known and more well understood. And I think that configuration testing space is sort of interesting, both from a, is this going to work? Also from a, is this when I ship it going to cost me like a load of money? You hit, yeah. Like cost of, I'm, cost analysis of like is often done after the fact so you mm. so you take some of these tools and they'll tell you like they tell you after you've spent a thousand dollars as opposed to going like this will spend a thousand dollars a day 
and mm. like you've you and you go wow like great it's it just saved me spending a thousand dollars a day you spent a thousand dollars like first and then it told you afterwards um, yeah, yeah. a bit like monitoring it's basically a monitoring system and um, imagine tools that can shift that to you wrote this code and goes like yeah that's going to cost you this and you're like well no that, that's flagged in my tests because my test said yeah this should never cost more than ten dollars like mm. and then you look and go ah oh, right I, I see what i did there um like security i think is similar there's actually good understanding of what good cloud provision environments look like i mean cis the benchmarks work that they've done just community good practice like what does good look like mm-hmm. but we get like there's generally not a lot of taking that from those domain experts and turning it into tools that developers can adopt it's still there are tools for specialists there are tools for after the fact very little of it shifts to like being something that a developer has like feedback on interesting mm. and i think it's that feedback that it's really interesting and useful and you see for lots of tools like lots of tools start as specialist tools used by a few people used in the sort of batch slow cycle back to fixing things i mean like testing software testing like that was yeah someone else did software testing they had specialist tools and you found out a week later that your tests had failed and then you had to fix something and someone mm. said like what if we write tests as part of the code and we get feedback yeah, while we're writing it and that like it's, it's easy to go like well yeah that's obvious like that wasn't obvious like that was revolutionary and i mm. think that why it was revolutionary was fundamentally because the feedback cycle suddenly turned from like something where you like was long to something that was really tight mm. and i think that configuration like is is, is at that point where we shifted a bunch of it to developers we haven't yet built the tools that provide the really tight feedback cycle for mm. iterating on that config so yeah definitely something i i am interested in generally i think there's a bunch of interesting academic stuff there as well around config testing but there's loads of also low-hanging fruit so we're doing a bunch of work now with sneak where as well as like importing application projects and detecting java and javascript and python vulnerabilities uh, if you import repos with helm charts and kubernetes config mm, files and soon terraform files we'll flag up a bunch of problems there and again that's all in at the source code end it's all at the like developer domain mm, like accidentally exposing ports or something something daft which we've all done right yep pick that up well some of it's like i mean you say it's daft but often it's like you've, we've get we've been given these really powerful tools and not always with knowledge of best practices and again that copy and paste problem and i mean there's always been this question of should hello world examples have all the security features on and and from a from a security says no standpoint the answer has always been yes and they've been like let's delete all the hello world examples on the internet and make sure they're all secure and the (laughs) obvious answer is no because then no one would learn to program and (laughs) yes like democratization (laughs) of programming is probably more important sorry like but that leaves you with this challenge of okay so you've got people who can program and in this case it might be with kubernetes configs or terraform code how do you take them from there to programming securely Mm. and i think again like it's it's tooling helps there like we see that with how do you take someone and education helps there and like talking about these things helps there and like because we've seen that get much better on the again the professional java developer side or the professional like javascript side or whatever it might be 
Fantastic, fantastic. I'm conscious of time now. Just very quickly, what are you looking forward to over the next 12 months? What's uh, interesting in your world? Well, we were just talking about events. It would definitely be nice to uh, meet up with uh, a bunch of people in, in, in person in different places. This, in real life, uh, right? <laughs> um, I think I, I think that's probably goes without saying. But yeah, I think that, that will definitely be a, a highlight. I think the first few conferences and events in our space back will be interesting from the point of view of actually the, the, there's always that mix of like content and the topics and the people i think yes. the first few events are going to weight towards the people side quite heavily just catching up right yeah and, and that human contact is like important it's easy to say everyone knew that like i think there's going to be a renewed understanding of like that well said, Gareth. I'm totally looking forward to uh, yeah catching up with yourself and a bunch of a bunch of other folks actually in person. The high bandwidth communication, very much looking forward to it. Thanks for your time today, Gareth. As usual, fantastic amount of knowledge been dropped there. Uh, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, always good to chat.